This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hi, Fergus. Hi, Paul. Hey. Hi. So um, let's just go straight in. I'm deciding this week we won't bore the listeners with the how are you chat because we've literally just done it for about half an hour. (laughs) We actually might as well um, save them what they normally probably do, which is skip through the first five minutes of the podcast and start with football. Uh, We most recently played Chelsea. Did you watch the game? Dave? Yeah, yeah, I watched the game. Um, I would understand if anybody turned off after about the 40th minute because it was only ever going one way. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but it was like uh, Tammy Abraham had a decent chance early doors and then he picked up an injury. And as soon as he was replaced, I think I said on the on the WhatsApp group that... Um, Olivier Giroud is not as mobile as Abraham, but he's just a better footballer, in my opinion. I think he's a I think he's a great striker that's not been used properly. And sure as shit, like ten minutes after he comes on the pitch, he scores. And they just they were just much better than us. But then Chelsea are just much better than us. Uh, yeah, it feels a bit like they're just better humans. They're just better in every respect, the Chelsea team. And that's just the way football is. I remember about 20 years ago when Arsenal, when Arsenal were the Invincibles, they just looked, they were just, everything about them was just better than everyone else that they played. Mm. Just like as athletes, just everything. Yeah. They never had the traditional sort of pasty player who looked knackered. Like most Premier League teams still have one player that you could sort of imagine seeing in a Sunday League team. But Chelsea don't really have that. Arsenal's Invincibles never really had that either. It was I don't know if you saw it, but there was an interview um, with Mikel Marino, um, oh. the midfielder that we had for like, what was it, half a season? Is that all we've had him for? 
It wasn't long. Um, he uh, wasn't on loan though, right? He was our player. Yeah, he signed yeah, him he for about ten million or something and sold him for twelve. Yeah, anyway, yeah he's, on, he, um, he, he, I'm, I'm butchering his quote, but he, he was essentially saying that the, uh, the, when he went on the pitch in Spain, he was thinking about tactics and formation and systems and stuff. When he was going onto the pitch in the Premier League, he was thinking that he has to be up for the fight because these. He was talking about like Romelu Lukaku looked like he should be playing a different sport because they were just giants compared to what he was used to playing against in Spain and just like physical specimens. And I think that's what the Premier League has now that um, that maybe the other leagues don't. Is that like you're saying? Everybody, every team's got maybe one who looks a bit pasty, but all of them are like these huge physical specimens. So. I'm not surprised that that we were outdone because our physical specimens, like Wilson was injured, Shah was injured, Manquillo was injured, and you look at like their replacements, Gail Kraft and um who was it? it was uh who who was who took Shah's place? It was um uh, Selden Clark. Clark. And, yeah. Well they just like Kraft was awful and Gail was shuffled out to the right hand side, so it just wasn't very good. Um I know I'm glossing over the game, but honestly, there's not really much to talk about because it was a weakened side that we were able to field against a, a much better side normally with a really good manager in Thomas Tuchel who's got really well organised at the back. So a comfortable 2-0 win, I, I would have expected that. I think what was frustrating so about this game after the recent sort of upturn in performances was there was... There seemed to be no urgency from us again. It felt like we'd gone back to that terrible run earlier in the season. Like our pressing was just nowhere near what it has been recently. When you consider we'd had a nine-day break between games as well, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to see a reason for that sort of lack of energy. I, you know, you know, I'm ever the um, optimist slash ostrich. Um, I didn't feel like it was at the. I didn't feel like we sank to the levels of the really poor form earlier on in the season. Although yeah. I'll freely admit that during that really poor form earlier on in the season, I was saying that things weren't that bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping that it's we just sort of in terms of form for us where we are at the moment as a football club we're just sort of keeping our head above water with that performance and it doesn't like mark some kind of descent into poor form again the the problem is and Wilson is injured uh it looks like he's going to be out for quite a long time he is the player that anyone who follows Newcastle was most worried about losing this season. I don't think Wilson would have made a difference in the Chelsea game, though. I think that might be. I think you might be right. Yeah, but um, oh, I, I, sorry, finish your point, Fergus. Well, yeah, we can go on to Wilson, but I was just going to say that our next match is against Man U away, and I, I just fear that off the back of that Chelsea performance, which wasn't, in my opinion, terrible, but it was us getting completely outplayed by another side. I don't think there's enough residual 
confidence and form from the past couple of performances that were all right in the last four games. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's been a couple of half-decent performances in the last three weeks, but I don't think there's been enough, there's enough residual form there to yeah, if I, battering off Man U, I can hmm. see us free falling into just poor form again. Well, I think at the moment we're really always goes, one. Needs to get his finger out. Go on, Paul. We're always one victory away from feeling like we've turned the corner, and one defeat away from feeling like we're going to get relegated. And we're hmm. we're consistently inconsistent. But I think I'm hoping it's more of just an issue of shape, like Chelsea having their sort of three or five at the back, however you want to think of it, with wing-backs, posed exactly the same problems Brighton did against us earlier in the season. And Bruce went and changed the shape after that, which feels retrospectively like it was a bit of a mistake. I hope we don't overreact to the Chelsea result. And the other thing as well, if we're going to have our shittest performance in the last five games, it might as well be against Chelsea. You would rather that than we put our worst performance in against Southampton, play well against Chelsea, and probably end up getting one point out of two games instead of three. Mm. I think the, the the thing to focus on is that if you'd if you'd pick this uh, fixture out of the the list at the beginning of the season and 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 asked how many points are we going to get from it, you would have said nothing. You you would have expected no points from that. We didn't pick up any injuries. We didn't get. If you just said two nil, you'd have said fine. Yeah, um, we didn't get any injuries. We didn't get any suspensions. Um, we weren't hammered. We weren't like embarrassed. Like we weren't good. Like by any stretch of the imagination, but we weren't anywhere near as bad as we have been against like mm-hmm. the likes of Southampton or Brighton or something like that. So it was, it was a bit men against boys. But that's fine. Like I'm, I'm not going to get upset about that because yeah, I think football, football fans often get upset about the fact that yes, there will have been, there are every weekend. There's there's an instance where a smaller team beats a bigger team. Sure. So fans will ask, well, why can't we be that? Well, it's not our turn to be that this week, and it looks like we're not going to be doing that very much at the moment. But it was mm-hmm. the second half. We were okay, but it was pretty boring, and it was like mm-hmm. it. It's like um, it's like two men arm wrestling, where one of them's just stronger. So there's no, there's like there's no <laughs> variables. It's just it's gonna be what it's gonna be, and he just yeah. Chelsea need yeah. a really off day for us to beat them, and they're what four wins out of four under Tuchel. Yeah, I th- I think that's the, that's the key for me is that. Um, under Lampard, I don't think Chelsea would have played as well as they did, as organised and as as um, as solid uh, at the back. And I think we would have had more opportunities for the like of Gale, Almiron, um, and St. Maximum and stuff. But they're just they're just he's made them really, really good defensively, and we're not good attacking. So our only hope was that they had a really poor like a really off game up front, but they they didn't. They just had an all right game. Like there will be Chelsea fans disappointed that they didn't win by more. But if Newcastle fans are, are like losing their shit over a two nil loss against Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea side, I think they just need to manage their expectations a bit. We're not we're not good enough, and we were missing our top goal scorer. So 
fine. I think most personal plans are just, you know, there's a lot of accumulative rage and depression and all of this totally understandably and any loss or not particularly good performance is going to bring all that up to the surface. We need to go on a really, really good run for Mm. a loss, not to bring out a lot of moaning. Vitriol, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, I understand that. Um, I'll go on, Dave, yeah. One thing I did want to mention is I think that what made the, what made the fan base more, more upset this this weekend was Fulham's unlikely win against Everton, and I don't want to spend too much time on on another team's like, you know, peaks and troughs. So let, before but, you say that, let's put this into context. Fulham, yeah. If, if you haven't looked at the table recently, uh, if we are in a relegation battle, we are clearly in a relegation battle, but. Fulham are probably the team that we're, we're most worried about, right? They're the, they're of the three yeah. that are in the bottom three, they're the most likely ones to pull themselves out of it. And I think a lot of Newcastle fans would say that we're currently looking like the team most likely to get dragged down into it. So we've mm. all got our eyes on Fulham. And Fulham have been putting in some uh, pretty good performances for a while. And I think on the last podcast we said but that it wasn't really getting them any points but then they went and got themselves a victory. Go on, Dave. Well, that's it, because I think they, they dragged themselves with that win. Like before the Everton game, they were 10 points um, adrift. And I think the Newcastle fans were were fairly comfortable with that because it's 10 points. But then they, they get an, un, un, like an unlikely win against Everton. And rather than look at the context of the results, and the context of the the Everton performance, the Newcastle fans just looked at the the result and saw that, well, shit, Fulham have been playing okay and only picking up draws or like narrow losses. Now they've beaten Everton. They're going to go on a run. Look at the next uh, teams that they're playing. It's like Burnley, Sheffield. They'll, they'll they'll win those, and then suddenly they're one point behind us. It's like, oh, let's just hang on yeah. a second. Like Fulham had prior to the Everton game, Fulham had won twice all season. And then, like Newcastle fans were expecting them to suddenly go on a win, like a run of three wins in a row. Like that's that's not what we've seen in the league. And then you look at the Everton team that they played against, and they they won. It was missing the first two choice centre halves. It was missing their top goal scorer in Dominic Calvert Lewin, uh, and the majority of the te- the rest of that team. I think it was like six players had actually played in an FA Cup. Uh, game that went into you know went into extra time on the Wednesday, so they weren't playing Everton at their best. They were playing a depleted Everton side who was knackered. So, and we've done the double over Everton this season. <laughs> yeah, and but I think there is a the, bit of a perception that Fulham are picking up form and we're dropping like a stone. Whereas and the, the last and five, and but the last five happen, games, it? but it's not true either. The last five games, okay. we've both got six points. Which right. is, yeah. Yeah, and sure. and we're still seven points. Uh, is it seven points? Six, uh, six points. points. We're still we're still six points ahead of them. So yes, theoretically, Fulham could uh, could beat um, Sheffield and Crystal Palace and narrow the you know and just close that gap. 
but I don't think that's very likely. And then right, after that, those two games, they've got a massive run against like Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea. It's, then then the big boys come to town, and you, however well Fulham play, it's exactly the same as us against Chelsea. As good as they are, the other teams are just stronger. This is sport, though, guys. This is why we love sport. You know, every, most seasons, one team pulls themselves out of the relegation zone. Uh, you know, is that true? I hope they do it. I, I hope don't they think do that's it. True. I don't know. We, well, is it true that the the bottom three in uh, it's February now, but in terms of the season, it's not really February. It's January. Are the bottom three? In January, usually the bottom three at the end of the season, all three of them, one of them usually pulls out of it, don't they? I think if the if the teams with less than 20 points uh, in, within January, I think it's unlikely that those teams are suddenly going to get 15, what, 15, 16 points in their final 15, 16 games because they're down there for a reason. They're not, it's not like a, I don't know. It's not like. Do you remember when Juan de Ramos was in charge of Spurs, and us and Spurs were were both around the bottom of the league? They brought in Harry Redknapp, and they dragged themselves totally clear um, because they've got the players. It's like we brought in Bobby Robson as well. Like we were in a bit mm-hmm. of a false low position. Yeah, it's like West Brom, Sheffield, and Fulham. With all due respect, they. They're, they're not sitting on these great players that just haven't maybe clicked. It's they're just they're not very good. That's there's a reason why they've only got like 19 points in this. You might be like, right. I think you're, I think the most likely that's just the most likely situation is that those are the three teams that go down and that we survive, but we're all still a bit depressed. I mean, that's the most likely yeah. set of circumstances, but it is sport and and uh and you know there's it would not be hugely surprising if fulham went on into a little bit of uh good form and we went 10 games without getting a point i mean it wouldn't be that surprising i think that fulham is the most likely thing but you know i think fulham are very nervous I think Fulham are a very toothless team and people are t- seeing one win recently and thinking they're suddenly going to go on a run of being able to score. I mean, look how bad they were against us or how bad we were against them and we still drew that game. I think mm-hmm. if they had Callum Wilson or a striker of that ilk, they'd be long safe by now. Well, speaking of that, we don't have Callum Wilson. Uh, against Chelsea... You know, there was a lot of speculation. What would be our solution to that problem? Against Chelsea, we basically decided to play Dwight Gale. We played four-three-three. As far as I'm concerned, we played what we've been playing for a few games now. And Dwight Gale was on the right, which is kind of what Callum Wilson's been doing, right? Yeah, I think Wilson's better suited to it than Gale, though. So there's another one where you think: Would you persist with? Dwight Gale as the solution to the no Callum Wilson problem, or is there a, a another option out there? I think the only other option I'd like to see would be Ryan Fraser. I agree. It would be a front 
three almost of like Almiron as a number 10 and St. Maximin and Fraser. But I, I still don't know why we don't go sort of four, two, three, one. You still have Almiron in that dangerous number 10 role. But Gale is better as an out and out striker. Mm. But again, we've seen him in one game where I think, like I said before, I don't think Wilson would have had much effect in that game either. The whole team just didn't turn up. I would like to see either Almiron or Fraser, and I fully caveat this with the fact that I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about. But I would like, I would like to see them play as an almost like defensive striker. Just yeah, just in in they both look to me like they could play the role of like an insane presser, like just yeah, bother the defense. Just but I. I worry that is that thinking not the same kind of thinking where if you see a a centre back who can pass the ball around a bit but is maybe prone to making the odd error will play him as a defensive midfielder. Well, that's not what he's been training his career to be. So well, I, I get what I get what you're saying. I'm not saying drop Callum Wilson. No, no, I mean like. In in his absence, I still think it's a better idea to have uh, somebody who's played as a striker playing as a striker. So be it Dwight Gale or Joe Linton or, or Andy Carroll. Like, yes, there's a lot of problem about Joe Linton, but I'd still rather have Almiron playing as a number 10, Ryan Fraser playing as a winger, Alan St. Maximum playing as a winger, because that's where they're best. There is that trend at the minute, though, of, I mean, Man City, who are obviously leagues ahead of us, they're showing that it's, it is becoming less about strikers. Like the percentage of their goals that come from strikers this season is lower than it's been in the last decade. It is more about the sort of attacking midfielders. I think there's an argument where you could see St. Maximin, Fraser and Almiron almost being, again, not as good, but versions of Mane, Salah and Firmino. There's not really an out-and-out number nine there but it's more a pressing unit where you're relying on the ones on either side for the goals. I can mm. see that not being a bad use of getting those three players in the team as well. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I suppose yeah. that would also free up, like if you're playing like a 4-3-3 with those three up front, like Fraser, Almiron and St Maximum, you, it gives a bit an element of flexibility. So if you're... If you're in a, in a against the side where you're getting overrun in midfield, Almiron can drop back and you can play an almost like four four two. You could have Fraser and, and um, St. Maximum drop back and play as like out and out wingers, and not as like as wide forwards as you're as you're like as I take it that you're talking about. So you could play like a four five one. So yeah, I, I, I'd take that. Um, but I think that what you lack then is a is the predatory instincts of a striker and Dwight Gales. Yes, he might need like six or seven chances to put one away, but he gets into the right position. And last season, he was getting a goal every other game or something like that. Yeah, in, as a, a striker a in, in a that. worse side. Yeah, I think I totally get the argument of like you want a predatory striker, but if he needs six or seven chances, is he going to get six or seven chances a game? And are we are we better off having like more good players on the pitch, and and 
Almiron is getting chances at the moment and not in the same way that a striker might, but he is getting chances and I'm actually quite confident with Almiron as a finisher. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not I, like I'm not saying that yeah, yeah, it's a different way of playing. And I think that there's there's definitely against sides like uh, that are are more in our weight category, I'd say yeah, that's that's a good shout. But against teams like like Man U in the next game, I wouldn't want Almiron to be the the Ursat striker. I'd I'd want Gale there because he's still he's still a proper striker. He's not. He's not very good, but he's still a proper striker, and I'd rather keep the shape and keep the movement from Almiron because yeah. he's one of the few who drives the ball forward. That interplay that you just wouldn't get. So while we before we before we have a break, and while we're talking about um, wanting a proper striker, of course we do have Andy Carroll, Joe Linton. I'm not putting him in a list of proper strikers, but we do have our beloved number nine, Joe Linton, and Dwight Gale. But there is another striker available as a free agent who I've seen linked this week with us and uh, West Brom and Sheffield United, and that is Daniel Sturridge. It would be impossible to register him, though, wouldn't it? That's what I thought. Is that that just a rumour? Is it? No, because our our 25-man squad's now been... Topped back up by naming Atsu. So, oh, yeah. I heard that, yeah. So, even if we wanted storage, we couldn't register him. Okay. All right. Well, I, thought we could be, I assumed it wasn't going to happen anyway. I yeah. think it could be quite it, funny having I, Daniel, Daniel Sturridge and Andy Carroll at the same club. These two, <laughs> like, crop, former <laughs> glamorous <laughs> Liverpool strikers, is like, It'd be like, remember when Andy Cole and Dwight York played for Sunderland Blackburn. at the same time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Once they Sunderland played Liverpool. for Sunderland at the same time, oh, right under, <laughs> under Roy Keane. Jesus. I mean, and they That's, were, yeah. they had amazing careers. But Andy Carroll and, and Daniel Sturridge. Anyway. It was like when we had John Barnes and Ian Rush at Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> and Stuart Pearce, although he was still good at that point. Yeah. It was John Barnes and Ian Rush in name only. Well, John Ian Barnes Rush was our top only. scorer one season. He was good. Yeah. Seven goals. Three goals. <laughs> was it seven? <laughs> yeah. Well, so John Barnes... Shelby was our top scorer. <laughs> With six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A geriatric John Barnes scored more goals for Newcastle than John Joe Shelby did. Didn't we finish like third that season or something there? Still. No. No, I think that was one of the 13th seasons. Mm. That was Dalglish's like first full season in charge, and we finished thirteenth. Right, and then it was Hullet, and then yeah. Okay. All right, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, let's have a break, and after the break, we will go to social media, and we are just addicted to the <laughs> game, which is sweeping the nation. I imagine you've all been playing it at home. This week on your, your on your you've been having Zoom games of Life After Love, but we will be playing the original Life After Love after this break. 
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Uh, I'm here with Dave and Paul. Dave, Paul, how was your break, guys? Really good, man. Really good. Really enjoyed it. Pleased to hear yeah. it. Yeah, it was good. I heard about a poetry night at the tap room that I'm thinking about <laughs> going to. It's, it sounds banging. Um, yes, we were all doing our, um, uh, you know, we're just a group of lads. We're just a group of dads talk, who uh, talk about craft beer, which <laughs> is what we did when we weren't recording. We talked about um, how we were feeling about our uh, craft beer subscription services. Craft beer, which is wanky enough at the best of times even though a lot of it is nice but i was saying to the others our local craft shop sent out an email with invites to a zoom poetry and beer night and i think that's maybe craft beer has to stop now yeah. we just pour it all down the sink jump the shark okay so i'm gonna go in uh we, we asked for as usual for some questions and comments on uh our at newcastle natter uh, Twitter account. There's always quite a lot of engagement. Um, it's the only thing that makes me uh, at all aware that anyone listens to this shit. Um, I've got a tweet here <laughs> from uh, someone I've never heard from before, so um, uh, that's good to know. Uh, his name is Kieran Ev- Emerson, and he says, "Why just why do we keep watching this shit?" It's <laughs> a fair question. I think, it's a fair question, but, you know... I think the last month has kind of shown us why. Whereas I think if you'd asked that question sort of any time in the last four or five months, would have been like, yeah, it does feel like there's absolutely no point. But game, like the Southampton game, I think, was a microcosm of why we keep watching this shit. Because it, when, it's, when it's going right and when you feel invested in it, I think watching Newcastle gets me more emotionally invested than any film or TV programme or anything else, I think. No, the Southampton game... And I include my wife and child in that. The Southampton game, which we must remember was not that long ago, was a good reminder of how enjoyable football can be. And it can be a lot more enjoyable than that, but that was pretty good. But, like, I know, as I've said a number of times this season, I just, like sport and even when sport is really quite boring and miserable there's still some level of unpredictability to it second half against Chelsea felt like about as predictable as it's possible for sport to be but no one's watching no one's watching the Queen's Gambit half out of their chair just going oh fuck off fuck off fuck off fuck off (laughs) when they're bored (laughs) and coming in only football can do that to me and they have with it there have, although the football isn't 
has rarely been enjoyable in terms of its quality to have in the last year been quite a few reminders for me of like the unpredictability of football and you know like like the 1-1 against Spurs after a terrible performance like the comeback against Everton last season you know and but, I think yeah, having I, a I, like, I, I, I feel you, Kieran. I know, I understand where you're coming from. I think having a player like St. Maximin has made a difference as well. Where <laughs> since Ben Arthur, we've not really had that. Where you're like, I, I just want to see what happens if this player's on their game. Like something amazing could happen. I'd mm. like to see it a bit more often for him. Yeah, at the moment. but we'll we'll see. Hopefully, he's working up to a. Some form. John Tilly says, assuming we do stay up, big if, who do we want in Bruce's shopping trolley with the inflatable banana from the relegated sides? I suppose that who would we want to pick up from the relegated sides? Let's assume that the, the three that are going down now. Uh, I can't really know. I think either, either of the Fulham centre midfielders would probably get in our team. Was it Luckman and Anguisa? Mm. I think they both yeah, maybe decent. I, I did like the look of that um, Josh Major, 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 whatever his name is. I like the look Wait, of him. Oh well, then fucking no, I don't care. You love yeah. him. Yeah. You love him, Dave. He's a man. He's in the um, <laughs> Sunderland Till I Die documentary. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, from West Brom, nobody. I was. I don't think there's anybody in that West Brom side that would get into our first team. Sheffield United, um, Keepers, all right, but get like who's the one who was scoring said, for fun last before, season? The Lundstrom. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I can't remember. It was John As Lundstrom. I said, he was the he was the fantasy football player to have last season was John Lundstrom, but. Um, as I said earlier, the, these teams are down there because they're man for nat man, not very good. It's not like when West Ham gets relegated because their good players don't put in enough of a shift or their manager's not very good. It's not that. It's not like when we went down under under um, like Kinnear, Shearer and all the rest of them where we had like really, really good players but just weren't playing thing. very well. Here's the thing. I'm going to... This is a hypothetical, but I reckon if you had been asked the same question at the same time last season, you would have said the same thing about Norwich. And yet we signed Jamal Lewis and we all got quite excited about that. But it hasn't worked out amazingly. Uh, Okay, let's keep going through them. On that that point, though, would you take any of the three managers of those teams? Uh, I Chris Wilder I, I think over Steve, if you give me a straight swap for Steve Bruce right now I think I'd take Chris Wilder mm. I think I'd take Scott, Scott Parker. Parker actually yeah I think I think I don't I mean jury's still out on him but he seems to have some pep about him some ideas and it's, it's, he's not a Tim Sherwood, is he? He's like he's he's got some IQ and he seems like a leader. He could do something, and 
I mean, he could Scott Parker could very easily end up a future Steve Bruce style manager, but yeah, I think Fulham and Sheffield United have both been a bit unlucky this season that they've just drawn too many games or lost too many narrow games. Like Sheffield United haven't been tonked nearly as often as we have. They're just not the rub of the green that they got last season. If you ask me for a straight swap right now, I would take Allardyce over Bruce as well if I didn't hate Allardyce and his history with us. But I would take Allardyce over Bruce as well right now. But if if we'd sacked Bruce at the end of the season and got Allardyce, I'd be like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It would feel like a piece of performance art. Yeah. Like, actually... Um, can I ask you to go to the Twitter because I am on four percent? Um, but I'll, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll enough to go to uh Paul M who says, Uh, were you much more sh- were you more shocked that Graham Jones played such an attacking side against Chelsea from the start or that he allowed Bruce to make such terrible substitutions soon in this soon in his <laughs> managerial career? Uh, and then we've got another one from... Uh, good point, though. Graham Jones, Graham Jones is off the ball a bit since such a good He's start. off the ball a bit. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, the Reverend J- Joe Kinsella says, As a vicar, I wear a lot of daft clubber. Got me thinking, what do we think is the greatest NUFC shirt? Is it the blue star, the brown L1, the purple and blue hooped away strip? Which one comes to mind straight away when you think of NUFC? which is the worst shirt. Yeah. It's good. I mean, best shirt for me is 100% brown ale, 96-97 home. The granddad colour. Yeah, definitely. That was... Now, you say that, but I oh. got given that one a few months ago and I never wear it because the granddad colour really bothers me. I can't... I There's a few it. notable ones as well. I think the... Ah, oh, I can't remember what season it was, but the one with the black shield on the back. 97, 98. Yeah, with the black collar. That was a really mm. nice one. I didn't like that because I think I just didn't like that shield, but the the Clarendon Blue hooped that he talks yeah. about, which was the same season, that's a great away shirt. And it was um, mimicked recently. We had a recent um, Clarendon Blue hooped away shirt that was really nice. I really quite like the um, almost denim-looking one. The blue. No, the NTL one. That one was nice too. Yeah, I think that I think I think Newcastle United have had some really good strips over the years, but the the clear winner, head and shoulders above the rest, for me, it has to be that granddad collar. I've got was... a soft spot for the black and white McEwen's Lager one though. That was mm-hmm. a very nice shirt and the blue star. I like the um, blue, I like the blue McEwen's Lager one, which I own. yeah. Um, and another notable one, one of my favourites, it was oh, the Nikos Dabazas era, the okay. re, sort of royal blue away shirt with gold trim. Mm, I remember that. I've got a soft spot for that one. I I, I, I do quite like the. Do you remember the yellow one that we wore in Europe under Graeme Souness? Yeah. I liked that one. And I I think because of the performances in it, I really liked the custard cream one from our yeah. first 
stint in the championship. I but think that was, it was absolutely just be- hated when we first when we first came out. It was <laughs> laughed at. Yeah. We wore that in the the six <laughs> one defeat to Leighton Orient. Leighton, yeah. And that I, I remember the other, laughed my, at. My favourite recent one to wear is the black and white Virgin Money one. That's the last one of. Mm. That might be the last home shirt I bought. I think. Okay. Well, this answer seems to have gone on a lot longer than I thought it would. I think oh, we last could do a one. separate podcast on this, to be honest. Last mention, uh, the the really rare, the Centre Parks version of our home kit that we had to wear because we couldn't wear our um, booze-sponsored shirt in Europe. Ah. I like that. Okay, I'll look up that one. I can't even picture uh, that. Ice Cube Kane says, Battle of the Steves. Who could finish a Lego set faster, Bruce or McLaren? McLaren. Um, yeah. Well, I think you. Yeah, I mean, Bruce. No, not not because I, I I fucking hate Steve Bruce. Just I think Steve McLaren's more cerebral. Sure. Yeah, I'll go with that. Steve. I, it's. I mean, it seems like the right answer. Uh, Tones, aka Tony No Topping, says, Do you think the anger at Bruce is distracting from the man who is ultimately responsible? Mike Ashley, not Graham Jones. Um Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's been I think we just got all got bored at shouting at the like man in the sky. Mm. I think also like because Mike Ashley legitimately tried to sell the club. A lot of, and, and because we've not been in the ground, I think that he is—he's not the, the the architect of this current situation in as much as he has been in the past. Because he did give Bruce uh, some good players, and he did try and sell us. So the, I think he ultimately is the architect. But oh yeah, I mean, but you know but, what I mean. Like I know what you, I know what you're saying. But yeah, I think it's also—it's just. After so many years of it, getting mad at Mike Ashley, you're just getting, it's just like shouting at the clouds. It's like yeah. you're just shouting into the void. There's there's nothing coming back. Whereas Steve Bruce, he's standing there watching every game. He's got to answer questions before and after every game. Yeah, you can be annoyed at the rain or you can be annoyed at the guy who's got your umbrella. It's a lot easier to be annoyed at the other guy. Sure. Okay, that's poetic. That should be on your gravestone. I think it will. Andy, Andy Sheldon says, if we stay up the season and if we're allowed back into the stadium to watch live football again, can Bruce, Bruce survive the inevitable constant negative torrent of fan feeling? I mean... Well, it sounds like there might be a chance of fans being in the stadiums this season. This is what Richard Masters was saying today. Which really? would make the relegation run in something oh speaking of the relegation running our last game of the season is against fulham we always get fulham away as the last game of the season well it could be that could be the and if it does go down to that i don't fancy us because i feel like if it goes down to the last game of the season it never works out for us but i mean that could be one of the biggest games, individual games in our history, couldn't it? Mm. 
Fulham away in the last game of the season. I'm not traditionally a happy hunting ground. Uh, I know, although recently it's been a happy hunting ground, hasn't it? 4-1 last game of the other season. Yeah. Last. Been there many times. Always seems Great away day. Yeah. My favourite was seeing us against Fulham at Loftus Road. And uh, we went 2-0 down, but 1-3-2. Absolutely amazing. I took my Ipswich supporting friend to that game and he got hugged by a massive Geordie. <laughs> when the third one goal went in. Um, okay. Uh, now, everything else was just foreplay. It's just a precursor to the game of... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Life After Love. If you've not heard this before, it's a game uh, invented by us. I don't know how we came up with it. but um, Can I suggest a challenge after this? Yeah, go on. The following weeks, we have to come up with different Newcastle-based games, possibly based on share songs. Okay, yeah, that's not a bad idea because also this game will at some point run its course. <laughs> it's quite clear. Um, but the 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 rules of the game are, I should have a succinct way of saying this, but Dave Watson is going to have a player in mind and he is going to name us the first club that player played for after Newcastle United. Me and Paul are going to try and guess who that player is. And then Dave is going to keep on naming clubs that that player played for after they played for Newcastle United. Uh until either me or Paul Doolan answers that names that player. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm ready. You ready, Paul? I'm ready. All right, Dave. Let's hear him. First club after Newcastle United was P A O K. Tabizas. Nope. Paul. George Georgiadis. Yes. Was it? Straight in there. <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable, Jeff. Well, um, have we had any other Greeks? Have we had any other Greeks? Well, that uh, play, for us, play for us in our history. Yeah, Abizas, Georgiadis. Ooh, there's a, a question. That'll be the game yeah. next week. Any other Greeks? All right. <laughs> Um, okay. Next week for all Greek to me. <laughs> uh, first club after Newcastle, Wolfsburg. Um, uh, let's hear the next. David one. Rosenhal. No. Uh, every week (laughs) next club Ruben Kazan Silvio Maric no Andreas Anderson no Birmingham oh uh, oh fuck what's his name Oberfemi Martins. Yes, Paul. Mm. Oh, come on, Fergus, pull your finger out. Um, okay, first club after Newcastle, Stoke. Uh, 
Amdi Faye. Amdi Faye. No. Um, Amdi Faye. No. (laughs) (laughs) How many Amdis have we had? (laughs) Amdi (laughs) O'Brien. Gaziantep. What? You too, Dave. Gaziantep. Gaziantep. Oh, God, I'm just trying to think through their squads in the last few years. Well, um, I can think of four players who've gone from Stoke to Gaziantep, but I don't know if any of them play for Newcastle. <laughs> well, this is getting ridiculous. Although, to be fair, Paul has got a couple of them. So. You will kick yourselves. Next one. Crystal Palace. Uh, oh, Peter Ramage? Mm, no. Fergus? Peter Ramage is a good guess. Uh, well, it's not Andreas Townsend. And it's not, 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 not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Bolton. know. Bolton. So Stoke, Gaziantep, Crystal Palace, Bolton. Freaking hell. Come on, boys. Um, Flea Bowie. No, no. Next club, Fleetwood. Stoke, Gaziantep, Crystal Palace, Bolton, Fleetwood. Mike Williamson. <sighs> no. No, it's not Mike Williamson. <laughs> it's not right. he, went to Wolves, he went to Wolves, didn't he? Well, tell me who it is then. <laughs> no, it's no fucking Williamson. You, oh, Mark. Mark Williamson. <laughs> I can't believe you. You're fucking dreaming, son. I don't know. I don't know, Dave. Okay, Did so Stoke, Gaziantep, Crystal Palace, Bolton, Fleetwood, Notts County, and he oh, ended Kevin... his career. Paul Huntington. Paul Huntington. <gasps> No. What did you say, Paul? I was going to say Kevin Nolan. But... That's wrong. Yeah. But I think he might have played under Kevin Nolan at Notts County. Scholar. Yes! (laughs) Am I allowed that? Yeah. You can have it. Yeah, you want it, yeah. Oh, Dear Fergus, how does that feel? A clean sweep. Very rare. I think I've done pretty well on this um, most weeks. It's nice for somebody else to win. I was impressed that you got George Ardis with the first guess, Paul. That was... Wow. Well done. Thanks. I always have a soft spot for him and thought he was a much better player than he was. I never did, but I respect you for... Is it something about the Greek players? I feel, yeah, you do like the Greek players. Hey, Jabazas was a very good player. But George Yardis, I always feel like he's sort of, I hardly remember him. I feel like he had one good, might have been a League Cup game that I saw and thought actually there's a good player there. But then... Weren't you like about 10 at this stage? No. When did he join us? He was with us in the mid to late 90s, wasn't he? 
like under Dalgleish. Yeah, it was ninety eight, ninety nine. So it would have been. I think Dalgleish um, signed him. Oh, okay, I was thinking of like he was there when in our like first season in the Premier. League. It might have been. It might have been one of those rare occasions where a, t- a club sign a player, and then to make him feel more comfortable, sign a like a a, a countryman, like Saint Maximin's friend, who <laughs> signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, he didn't. He only made ten appearances for us. Okay, he scored a goal. Uh, it was the FA Cup that George Arda scored his only goal in the four-one win over Everton. Uh-huh. So you might have seen him there, but yeah, that's it. Unless you want to try a really difficult one, where there's only two clubs after. Go on, go on. Well, All right. might as well just keep on our regular run of like absurdly long Newcastle Nasser episode. <laughs> <laughs> So after Newcastle, he moved to Wigan. Uh, Gary Caldwell. No. I've got nothing. Just keep going. I'm not. not His final club is. Zobia. Charles and Zobia. No. And then his final club was Norwich City. This one's hard. It's easier if you, if I do the preceding clubs. Grant Hanley? No. Club before Newcastle, Man City. The first club before Newcastle. The, yeah, the, we bought him from Man City. Or we got him from Man City. And we sold him to... Wigan. Was it... Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Sibierski? Yes. There you go. 3-1. There you go. You're not a whitewash. But that's it. That was Life After Love and uh, Paul. Well done, mate. Thanks. I get the cash prize of £26,000. Yes. It's crippling us giving this away every week to each other. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you putting that together, Dave. Um, Maybe we'll invent a new game for next week. In fact, if if you've got any ideas for good Newcastle United-based games... um, you don't have to focus on the the share song element of it. No. You can, but if you do, you get more points. Up, you get more points. But if you can, just come up with any kind of uh, game that could be fun to play uh, around Newcastle and United, so that we can have even longer episodes of this podcast. And we do have another game coming up soon, and that is against Man United away. Uh, it's the late kickoff on Sunday night uh, I often find Sunday nights quite depressing will this cheer my mood Dave? <laughs> no it'll be a comfortable 2-0 loss okay but so basically sorry nope fine it'll be basically the the um, Chelsea game repeated Paul a couple of things in our favour is they have played, we're recording this on Thursday evening. Man, you are playing on Thursday. So they've got, I mean, they've won as well, but it feels like they've got less time to prepare for it than us. Have they travelled? Yes. I think they have. Are they at Sociedad? To, yeah, they're at Sociedad. 
they've won four nil. Okay, but no, maybe, that they, could maybe work. they've had enough goals. Maybe they're just mm. full <laughs> <laughs> um, But also, I think um, as well, the other sort of there's been a couple of times over the last sort of three years where we've really needed a result and we've had Man U up and we've actually managed to get, albeit quite narrow, 1-0 wins, like the Longstaff Brothers game and the Rafa one with Matt Ritchie. But they've both been at St James's. I, don't, I think it'll be very tough to get a result. The last two games against Man U have been 4-1 losses. And I wouldn't be incredibly surprised if that happened again. Sure, yeah. I'm going to go 3-1 Man U. Uh, okay, but, you know, we are in a position now where we're trying to be quite zen about it, I think. And I think we all need to prepare ourselves. Let's not lose our shit if we lose by three goals to Man U. Mm. Let's not lose our yeah. shit about that. I'm, I, in terms of relegation, this is where I'm at. Are you familiar with 538? Yes. Yeah. The, um, Nate, the Nate Silver statistics Nate Silver, blog. They, yeah, they're a, a statistics group who predict things based on uh, modelling. Dave knows, understands all this shit, but they do politics <laughs> and sport. And I was sort of laughing at them earlier on in the season, thinking, oh, they, they don't know about football. They always get their football wrong. Because they had Man City, like, big favourites to win the Premier League when Man City really didn't look like they would and now Man City really are going to win the Premier League 538 currently have us with a 31% chance of relegation that's higher than I thought it would be I would say that's about right 31% chance of relegation yeah I think that I think um that it's it's weird. It's when you say oh, we've got a thirty percent chance of relegation, people often take that as meaning that it's likely, which is mm. not true. It, there's a seventy percent chance that we will survive, or like a sixty nine percent chance. It's more likely that you than you'd like it to be. Yeah, but it's oh yeah. I mean, you'd you'd want it to be zero, but the the point is that. For Fulham to survive, they need to not only play better, like get more results, but they almost have to double their points per game for the for the season because they've they've been bopping about the the point seven points per game, and that's that's not enough to survive in any season, let alone this one. We've been bopping around the one point again, one point is a game, and that's usually enough to survive thirty eight points over the course of the season. We'd have to be, we'd have to do a lot worse, and they'd have to almost double what they've been, how they've been performing to catch us and then surpass us. Sure, I'm, I think, I'm I, think really the general, I think the general feeling amongst the pessimists is that um, our we've been earning more points than we deserved, uh, which is a is, you know a theme I think I've got from you a fair bit this season. Yeah, and Fulham of not been getting as much points as they deserve from their performances, and that it'll somehow balance out over the season, and that won't work in our favour. But you know, but I'm just saying, thirty-one percent. 
Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Do they have us most likely to go down outside the current bottom three? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, just in in terms of expected points, um, yes, Fulham are are actually predicted to to be about fifteenth, sixteenth, um, but Burnley are predicted to be eighteenth, and we're still predicted to be about seventeenth. So yes, we are. We're performing pretty much as expected, and Fulham might be you're underperforming. You're about yeah, you're talking about yeah, but I, yeah. yeah, so. I, I, I'm not going to worry because yes, they they might catch us in the next couple of couple of games. They might catch up to us, but then our fixtures get easier and their fixtures get much harder. And I would expect our gap to return. Okay, well we'll see. We've got um, 14 more games to watch it. This all play out in its um, glory. And to entertaining glory. Is that good? So we should call this episode <laughs> entertaining glory. Yeah. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you very much uh, to Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you very much. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener, and Graham Jones. Goodbye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.